Hello and welcome. Uh, my name is Zach Lubin, and I'm going to be introducing the important person today, who is Jack Williamson. Uh, Jack is a youth ministry and minister veteran of uh, over, what, 30 years now at this point. Uh, he um, continues to mentor youth ministers. Uh, he has been a good friend to me uh, in my youth ministry. Uh, he serves at the Conejo Valley Church of Christ. Uh, he is an author. He holds his doctorate of ministry from Fuller Seminary. He co-directs uh, King's Camp, which is a fourth through eighth grade camp that uh, focuses in on spiritual formation for those students. And so I'm very happy uh, to introduce him to you. I know this class is going to be great. I'm going to pray a blessing over you, Jack, and, and thank you for, for sharing your wisdom with us today. So, uh, God, I um, am thankful for Jack and the ministry that he has so faithfully served. Um, God, I'm thankful uh, for this opportunity for him to share uh, the gifts that you have given him, um, the wisdom that he has uh, learned from you all these years. God, be with him and be with us. It's in Christ's name and through the Spirit we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Zach. Oh, sorry. Real quick, Jack. Oh, I yeah. totally forgot. Go, go. Yikes. Uh, there is a youth ministry lunch uh, today over in the Han Fireside Room, and we would love for you to come. Mark Yarhouse is going to speak. Um, and so that's an open invitation to any youth ministers or those of you who like youth ministry or those of you who know what youth ministry is. We'd love to have, love to have you at that lunch. Thanks, Zach. All right, well, welcome. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. Um, and and this, this is relevant. I'm not just talking about me. But um, I was a kid who grew up in the church. Uh, you know, I started going to church probably before I was born. Um, and... Um, my mom never missed a day, so I know I was there before I was born. Uh, and we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every time the doors were open, we were there uh, all the way through my growing up years. I'm number seven of eight kids, and so I came late in life. And uh, my mom is 95 years old, uh, and uh, she was just with us. She's in great health and a real blessing. When I was 13 years old, very unexpectedly and suddenly, my father died. So... Obviously, that sent me into a crisis. Like, what, what does a 13-year-old boy do without a dad through his teenage years? And so I uh, kind of spent my time uh, trying to figure out who I was and trying to figure out where I fit. And so I got to this point where I was playing bass guitar and got into a band, and I was going to be a rock star because we were so incredibly awesome. Eclipse, you've probably heard of us. We were really good. And um, uh, I would go out with friends and do stupid things on Friday nights and Saturday nights, but we always had a rule. I had to be home uh, by a certain time because my mom knew that Saturday Night Live was over at one in the morning. And I told her I'm hanging out with Bob and watching SNL and then I'll be home because Sunday morning I got up and ran the Joy Bus program. And I got out and knocked on doors on Saturday and I ran the, the children's uh, Bible hour and all that kind of stuff. I led singing on Wednesday nights. I was, I was the perfect church boy and the partier all rolled into one through high school. I didn't understand any of that then. I think I kind of understand it now. Then fast forward to 1989, uh, I finished an uh, a elementary education degree because I went to school to learn to play keyboards and work on my vocals and come back and be a rock star. And I was really awesome until I met people who actually had a little thing called talent. Realized that really wasn't what I should be doing. So I went into education and, and got an ed degree. And uh, then I ran into a guy who said, you need to come be my intern. And I said, in what? What do you do? And he said, youth ministry. And I was like, I've never heard of that. I did two summers of internship and thought, okay, this is where God has called me. 
So the summer of uh, uh, 83 and 84, I, I did that. I got married in 87. My wife and I moved to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. We're in, we're in youth ministry. It's 1989, and I'm running a youth rally. And I find out that we're going to have a baby. And I hit crisis. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I have parents whose kids are in crisis, families in crisis, who are coming to me at 26 years old saying, what should I do with my son? How do I deal with my daughter? And I'm going, I didn't even have a dad when I was that age. How am I supposed to tell you this? And then I have my own son on the way, and I'm thinking, how am I going to be a dad? I don't remember what my dad was like. I mean, I love the guy. I can tell you stories. He was funny. He was an elder. He was this great guy. But, but really, in parenting, I have no idea what to do. For this youth rally, we're getting ready to put it together, and we're talking about um, I, the theme doesn't matter, all that stuff, but we were going to look at the life of Moses. Moses had always been a character that kind of stuck with me. For some reason, I liked Moses. And so um, a friend of mine that we were working with, he said, hey, you're creative. You write a lot of stuff. Why don't you write this monologue on Moses, and I'll perform Moses, and we'll just do Moses at the burning bush. It's going to be hilarious to kick off the whole week. Okay, let's give it a shot. And I wrote this monologue of Moses standing at the burning bush. And an amazing thing happened in the process of that monologue. I realized with Moses standing at the burning bush, Exodus 2 and 3, he gives these excuses about why he is not the one God should choose. I don't know much about you. I don't have the power. I can't make people believe. Who am I to do this? I can't even speak well. And finally he says, God, would you please, you made a mistake. Just send someone else. And in the monologue, Moses says, up to that point, God had been very patient with me. But when I said that, God got mad. And when God gets mad, you stop arguing and just go get busy doing what God wants you to do. And I realized that that story of Moses in that little point was my story. And it connected with me so well because I was standing in a place in youth ministry about to be a dad going, God, there is no way I have any idea how to do this. I didn't grow up with a youth group. Well, we had a youth group. It was me and my buddy, and it doubled when we both had girlfriends. That was my youth group growing up. <laughs> And, and then I went into this youth ministry internship, had no idea what I was doing. I got to hang out with kids, have fun, and get paid for it for the summer. Like, that's awesome. We had a lot of fun, but I don't know if there was much ministry taking place. There was, but I didn't recognize that. And then I'm standing here about to be a dad and saying, I don't know how to tell parents what to do. I don't even know how to be a parent myself. I was Moses at the burning bush, and God is saying, you're exactly where I wanted you to be. You're the one I've chosen and you're going to do this. So fast forward to my ministry in Thousand Oaks, California. And I've realized over the past several years, what was going on with me this whole time is what's going on with every teenager. So when I got into grad school and I started looking at this stuff, I'm going to throw some of this at you. It's pretty simple. You know it all. I'm just scratching the surface of this. It's not going to be long and boring. But I want to talk about identity formation and identity development. Eric Erickson, you know that name? Most of us have heard that name. He was a developmental psychologist who came up and said, look, the number one job of teenagers and adolescents is identity formation. That whole business from 13 to 18, when he wrote this back in the 60s, still true today, even though adolescence is stretching out into the 20s, it's about figuring out who they are, where they belong, who they're supposed to be. This is what I was doing the whole time after my dad died. Am I a rock star, pot smoking, beer drinker, or am I 
the good church boy that's leading the, the children and leading singing and bringing kids to Christ. And, and I didn't feel anything was wrong with both of those. It, both of them were roles I played. And this is what I would do. In my later years, I regretted it because I lost the chance to have a good witness to my friends at that time. Parentheses, God's been very gracious. Almost every one of my friends in high school now know the Lord in my absence. God was working in their lives back then as well. But this identity and role confusion Erickson talks about, and I, I lived it. I saw it clearly. Um, and then J James Marsha comes in and talks about not phases, but kind of stages, and I mean, not stages, but phases of development. And so we think about Erickson set out and said that there are all these stages that we go through and we work through, and you can look at that and read it. It's really some insightful stuff. But Marsha comes along and says, it's not necessarily stages. It's more like phases that we come in and out of. So think about the teenagers you know. Think about the, the life that they're living. And he has these different phases. Identity diffusion is where they don't really worry much about who they are. It's kind of like, I just am. I'm just here. I, I don't, I'm not trying to make a choice to be this or to be that. I, I can just be. That's a lot of where I was. I didn't really think that much about who I was. I didn't want my mom to know who I was on Friday and Saturday. And, and sometimes I'd bring my party friends to church and we'd hang out and I'd kind of go, what do you think about this Jesus thing? And they're like, eh, I don't know. And a lot of times at parties on Friday or Saturday, I'd find myself in theological conversations. This whole thing was all like just so messed up. Um, but there's, there's this diffusion where, where they're not really thinking about who they are or who they want to be. They're just being. And there's the other uh, phase that is foreclosure, where they've made the decision. And a lot of times this happens to a kid young because someone tells him or her, you are an athlete. It, it's who you are. You have incredible skill. And they just, boom, that's who I am. I'm an athlete. I'm going to be in the NBA. Or I'm going to be a major league player. Or I'm going to be a volleyball player. This is who I am. And everything I do is built on this. And they've kind of shut out every other possibility because this is who I am. So foreclosure is making that hard choice. And for Marcia, it's all about choices. They have chosen, this is who I am, this is how my school fits, this is where I'm going. Uh, another one is moratorium, where some kids get to the point, and this happens to the kids sometimes that foreclosed early. I am a baseball player, and I am going to be, I've known friends who, who came to Pepperdine and went to other universities, didn't make the team. Wait a minute, you don't understand. I'm a baseball player. I was number one in my league. We won the championship, and you don't even put me on the team? So they go in the moratorium. Forget it. I'm not choosing who I am. I hate baseball. I don't have anything to do with it. <laughs> and they're just shutting down. I'm not choosing. I'm just going to be it again for a while. And, and then they roll back into diffusion. And so these things come and go all around. And the last one is identity achievement. They've figured out who they are, where they belong, and who they want to be. Now, none of these are hard and fast, but you can see, think about the teenagers that you know, how, how these roles come in and out. And, and I'm really good at this. And it's several different things. Like, I can look at myself and say, yeah, I'm a dad. And I think I've done pretty well as a dad, but I'm still trying to figure out how to be a dad. So, yeah, I'm a dad, but that's not all I am. I'm also a minister. And I was a youth minister for 30 years. Now I'm not really the youth minister at my church, so what is my role there? Well, I'm still loving on our kids and still trying to help bring youth ministry along. There's a part of me that still feels like youth minister, but when people at my church say, what do you do? What's my role? They have wrestled for 
four years about what my title is. And no one can quite figure it out. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm Jack. That's what I'm going to do. I do what I do. And, and we're still trying to figure that role out specifically. And I think that's okay. I mean, we all, as adults, we can go through this stuff. I think Mark said he was really onto something when he came up with this. That personality and identity is not hard and fast, but it's, it's a fluid kind of thing. And you can find different periods in your life. You've got this nailed down, but I'm also this over here. I might be an architect and a painter. Or I might be you know, a, a coach and a... Um, I don't know, contractor. I mean, we all have those different roles. And it's all about deciding who we are and asking the question for youth ministry, who has God created you to be? It's a really important question for kids. Okay, put the identity stuff away for a moment, and let's move to really the point of this class today. Um, so just to run back over those, sorry, I said put them away, not yet. These are just broad strokes. Identity formation, a major task of adolescence, and also constantly changing and developing sense of self is natural, and personal, personal identity is shaped both internally and externally. That is so key for us to remember when we're dealing with kids. We've all had the kid and wondered, boy, they act like a Christian at church on Sunday. What are they like at school? And been really worried because they're not as little Jesus as adults tend to be walking around this campus. And I think we can relax and kind of go, you know what? They're figuring this out. So in the time that I have with them, as much influence as I have, let's draw them toward the cross. Let's begin to build that into them because they're working on what am I going to choose. And if we get too harsh and stringent and draw dark lines and say, you've got to be all this or you're not any of it at all, I think we run risk of having them say, well, forget that. Not possible. So there's a lot of that going on that, that they're trying to figure this out. And... We need to be part of those external factors who are working to show them, even when you mess up, absolutely, I love you. That's the way God loves you. That's, that's why so many people are drawn toward Peter in the Gospels, because he's the guy. He's the original, you know, ready, fire, aim guy that just kind of blows off at the mouth and then goes, I didn't mean that. And even Jesus says, do you love me? <laughs> and walks through that with him and brings him back. And so we, we recognize that in ourselves. We see that in Peter. We need to embrace it in our teens. Now, it's not being, I'm not saying soft on sin, don't care. Well, yeah, come come to, you know, Devo Wednesday night, then go sell pot on Thursday. That's fine with me. No, I, I got a little bit of a problem with that. But let's talk through that and not let them walk right away. Because they are going through this kind of diffusion through identity expression and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, it's, it's a natural process. And I think, now this is just my opinion, but I think youth ministry is the most important ministry the church can ever be involved in, at least in America, in our culture, because that's where this process is happening, and we want to try to help them figure out that they are divinely created and loved by God for a specific purpose. Okay, so now I want to move to a tool to help us do that. Let me pause for a second and see, does that confuse anybody, or are you wiser than me and do you straighten me out? That can certainly happen. No questions? Anything on that? I know this is probably simple stuff. You're all going, I know. Move on. Okay. So, I don't think we can underestimate the power of story in our kids' lives. Nothing happens without story. Think about how you can share what's going on in your family. Or think about what happens on the news. Nothing is told without story. 
Nobody ever fondly remembered their great-grandparents like this. You know what? There are some people who are really old and died before they came. Isn't that awesome? Now, if we remember it at all, it's because of the stories we've been told that are passed down through our family about these people. And, and these stories are the fabric from which our memory is woven. God has created us that way. God has created us with story being incredibly powerful. Stories, they inform values and they shape our character. You know, that's why everybody knows some of Aesop's fables. That's why there's real power in Harry Potter if you can sit with a kid and talk about, really, what's going on here? What's that struggle between good and evil? Who, who's the hero and who's not the hero? And, and how, what does it matter? And why do we listen to these things? That's why Jesus used parables. Because story is a powerful tool that God give up, gives us to shape character. And so I think we need to lean into that in youth ministry and don't forget that it's, it's a building block of what God is doing in character development. Stories can be the means by which we define ourselves. Just sit back and listen sometimes. My favorite thing used to be to drive the kids around. I know that sounds crazy. But particularly if I had junior high girls in the second seat. Because all I had to do was rub on, get in here, say hi, how you doing? Have a great weekend, let's play, let's go. Then I start driving and I don't say a word and within 20, 30 minutes, I'm learning everything going on in their lives. Because they forget there's no wall between me and them and they're just like, <laughs> telling the story of what's going on and I'm learning their values, I'm learning what's important, I'm learning who their friends are and I'm listening and praying for them while I'm driving down the road. It's a wonderful period of ministry because I got insight that God kind of went, you want to be a fly on the wall? Be a youth minister behind the wheel. And, and you start to step in and hear them telling stories and figure out what's important. And, and I would never then afterward go, you know, when you were talking about Bobby, when he was like, I don't think that was very good. No, but then I would pray, okay, Lord, how do I wrap some of this stuff in so that these messages we're teaching will connect with what they're doing that then they don't even know I'm doing that? Because I think that's what God does with us all the time. Things happen and pop up and you go, wow, that was amazing. I can't believe that happened. And you're like, really? God was listening yesterday, and he knew what was going on, and he put this in your life. That's how he works with us. Listen to the stories. These stories inform character, and, and you start to figure out who they are by who they love and what they do and what they're involved in. And uh, it can be a really powerful thing. Okay, so the last thing is I believe that biblical stories can be the tools through which God introduces spiritual mentors. I started off talking about how the Moses story just kind of dropped on me and I went, wow, that's why I love this story because I was Moses at the burning bush. Not that I'm amazing, not that I'm going to lead people out of Egypt, not that, but, but that God said, you're the one I've called for this task. And I said, God, I'm not the one to do this task. I don't have a clue how to do this. And he said, I know. <laughs> that's just so great about it. If I had some guy in here who thought he knew everything, he'd run off on his own power and wouldn't listen to me. I've got you, the self-proclaimed idiot, who's going to be on his knees, and you might actually hear what I have to say, and guess what? I know how to do this, and I'll take you through, and we'll get this done. I have lived into that story over and over and over so many times in my ministry, and I could go on for an hour talking about how the times that that has popped up. Uh, just a couple examples. You know, when, um, well, when I became a father, and I was having... Uh, Within two weeks of my 
first full-time youth minister. I wasn't even a dad yet. And the church in the town next was doing what they call family Bible school, which is a great thing. They're doing intergenerational stuff during the week, in the evening. They're asking parents to come in, and they asked me to come over because I was the only full-time youth minister in the area. We want you to do a class for our moms and dads on how to be a Christian husband and father. I've been married three months and had no kids. <laughs> I just happened to be the guy that had a job. And and so I, I prayed like crazy about that. Like, no young guy is going to turn down the chance to speak, right? This is big time. I'm going to teach at the next church over. Whoa, they don't even know me. I prayed like crazy. Lord, don't let me screw this up. <laughs> and the first thing I said walking in was, I reserve the right to be wrong with everything I say. Because I'm speaking from theory, not from practice. And I'll lay this out to decide the conversation. And there were people that I've never heard someone approach it that way. They all come in and try to tell us what to do. And I'm like, I couldn't care what to do because I don't know. And there were several people that kind of went, I'll listen to Taylor. And because I read the Bible, some good things happened in that process. God was with me going in. And of course, that was not the day. Second example, we had a horrific accident. I mean, horrific. We had uh, taken my youth group up to Pismo Beach. We did that every year for a retreat. There was a later car that was coming after a football game. had five students in it. And on the way up, a drunk driver was going the wrong way on the freeway, head-on collision. One girl was killed, and a young boy lost his, um, incredible athlete, lost his, his leg below the knee. Um, dad was in the car, uh, lost his swing. Uh, and every student was injured. I go from being ready for this great retreat to taking my entire youth group to the hospital as we're waiting and making a decision to terminate life support on this beautiful 16-year-old. That was a moment where I went, whoa, I don't know what to do. And I was nervous. And just sit here for a few minutes. Watch, pray, love, love is the cure. And, and, and I remembered all the times that I had a crisis in my last hour. And I was able to tap into those and God brought us through those. The story of Moses informs my story at that point. So here's what I think we need to do. We need to recapture these Sunday school stories. Because God gave us the scriptures not as a book of rules, not as a book of commands, but as a book of stories in his wisdom. Because he knows that story captures our heart. He knows that story takes us to different places. And, and our kids who grow up in church are like, I know all the stories, I know all the stories. But they're trying to figure out who they are. So I ask one simple question. I did this uh, three weeks ago with our high school group, and uh, if it weren't for finals and all that kind of stuff, I had a couple kids here to share this morning. Um, but I start with one question. I ask you the same question. Who's your favorite Bible character? Seems like a simple little you know, question. But what I've discovered over the years is if, if one character comes to mind for you when I ask that question, you need to pay attention. Why is that one your favorite? And then go back into that story. Because when you asked me that question, it was hands down it was Moses. Second was Esther. I couldn't tell you why I like Esther. Maybe it was because I thought the onion and veggie tails were the most beautiful onion I've ever seen. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> When I, when I really started thinking about these stories as these powerful tools, 
I realized that story had been with me since I was a kid. God has something to do with this process. I've shared this with lots of people. I did this at a whole seminar at, at our church uh, probably close to 10 years ago. And there's one guy, I won't tell you his name, some people in here will know him. But he came to me afterwards. He'd come out of my youth group. He was in his 20s by this time. And he said, look, uh, one of those Bible clerics that was ever stood out to me. And he said, I don't think I have one. I said, well, what, what stands out to you? He's like, well, I've always liked the parables about, you know, uh, the lost coin. Or, or I like the story about the story about money. And, uh, and, and then he printed where, where Paul is saying, you know, give and it will be given to you. Search down and it will flow in your cup side on you. He said, I built this stuff in this in the corner of this church. And I looked at him and said, and what's your job right now? Financial controller of Double M. Really? <laughs> you don't think God has anything going on with you? But God impressed on you as a young child, and those principles have, have shaped and taken you where he wanted you to go. So I asked you to take a look at what Bible story sticks out with you and, and lean into that character. And I use the terms character and story, you know, I believe they're true. So there are those that have said to me, don't say character, don't say story, that means fiction. I said, no, not when I'm talking about the Bible. <laughs> there, are, there are characters in the Bible, their life stories are true, are true, there are real people, and if we look at these characters, I believe we can begin to see ourselves in these characters. So what I've done over the last, um, well, since 1989, off and on at different times, of different characters being impressed on me uh, during my life. And I started just writing monologues. Because for me, that was a way to sit down and say, if I could sit across the table from Esther and ask her, tell me about the most important time in your life, or tell me what God did with the woman at the well, or tell me what God did in the life of Zacchaeus. And then I just start writing. Them talking back to me to tell their story. I find that was such a powerful thing for me that these people became part of my story, and I found my story in theirs. Because God has shown us everything he wants to do with us through the people in the Bible. And so I encourage you to think about that for yourself. Which character stands out to you? Spend some time with that. Take one chunk of that that sticks out with you and, and maybe write a monologue. Or at least pray through that story and ask God, why is this one important to me? What's standing out? So what I want to do is share some of these with you. I, I have um, copies of this. I took these and I wrote them down, not because I want to be an author, but because one day I won't be here and I want my kids to have something on paper. So if you're interested in one of these, leave it here afterwards, but that's not what this is all about. I want to share two of these monologues. There, there are six in here, one that my wife wrote and five that I've written. And so I'm going to ask uh, a good friend, Kathy Thomas, to come and read the monologue from the woman at the well, and then I'll read a monologue from Zacchaeus, and then we'll open the Before I start reading, I will say uh, got a little nervous thinking about being a junior high girl sitting in the front seat of she the van because I was one of those junior high girls. So I'm racing through my mind thinking, what stories does he know about me from from the front seat of that car? But, it was a long time ago. I, I don't even remember. Okay, so, yeah. good. Feel better. But this is from the woman at the well. So I understand you want to know about my seems to want to know about my past. I wonder why the world is so curious about who I am and how I got to be where I am today. 
Well, I can tell you one thing. I did not plan this. No, I didn't plan any of it. Just seemed to happen to me. Well, I guess I did have some choice, but I didn't think so at the time. Those were rough days. What? You think they weren't? Do you think I wanted to be the one that everyone whispered about when I walked by? The one who everyone knew wouldn't keep a husband and had to take up with a man who wouldn't even have the decency to marry me? I have to tell you, those were hard times. Very dark days. No little girl dreams of being the town tramp when she grows up, but that's what they thought I was. Their accusing eyes and piercing glances would cut me to the core. They would glare or sneer at me so that I felt like yesterday's garbage, used up and thrown away. I felt that I had been used up my entire life. When I was young, life was good. I had the same hopes and dreams as any of the other girls, but somewhere along the way, they all fell apart. I thought I knew love. I gave myself fully to the first man I fell in love with, and I was truly in love. I could see myself with him forever. Unfortunately, he couldn't see himself with me until he got what he wanted, and then before long, he grew weary of me and moved on. I wasn't a bad girl, but in a small town, it doesn't take long for you to be labeled as those labels are hard to shake. One bad relationship led to another. Before long, I gave up on my highest dreams. I began to seek security and affection from people I normally wouldn't have given myself to. They were wounded too, just like me. I learned to believe that I was damaged goods. To escape the glares and scrutiny of those who used to be my friends, I began to go to the well at all times. I did not want to be there with the other women. My past had stolen my ability to stand tall and feel good about myself when they were around. The hardest part wasn't really their gossip or sneering glances. The hardest part is that I believed they were right. Somewhere along the line, I just had given in. I wasn't strong enough, and because of my weakness, I wasn't good enough. I didn't deserve a respectable husband or an ordinary, wonderful wife. That was the hardest part. I believed I wasn't good enough. It caused me to give in to lower passions and to spiral down until I had little hope or desire for redemption. That's when I met him. There was something strange about him that I couldn't quite figure it out. It's not that I thought he was a prophet or even a rabbi. He was another man. What's worse is that he was Jewish, and I, being a Samaritan, expected another lesson from him on how I wasn't him. Yet there was something about the way he looked at me and spoke with a different tone. He looked directly at me, like no man had ever done in my memory. There was no lust in his eyes, no disdain. I couldn't figure it out. It was as though he looked at me as, well, I couldn't believe it. Even now it's hard to believe. He looked at me as though I was not a woman, not Jewish goods, but a person, an earthly, valuable person. He spoke to me as if I mattered. That made all the difference in the world. After talking for a short while, he made it clear that he knew exactly who I was and what I had done, but it didn't matter to him. That was amazing. He knew my past, but he didn't write me off for it. He accepted me just as I was, and that made me want to change for the better. From that point on, I was changed. I mattered. I was valuable, not broken and worthless. 
I was useful and could reach out in compassion to others in a way that no one who didn't carry my scars could ever do. He made that clear to me. My past did not disqualify me. Instead, it gave me a starting point. From where I could relate to others in their pain and bring peace, comfort, and truth. And that's what I've done from that day until now. Oh, and what I told you before was true. I didn't sign up to be this way. It happened to me. I thought my past had doomed me to be useless, but instead it has made me uniquely equipped to reach others who are hurting. I never could have planned that, but God did. Yes, that is the truth. God did, and that Scars don't disqualify you or empower you to reach out and touch those who are hurting. It's a powerful story, and it, it connected with me in my life, with my weakness, that my weakness didn't disqualify me. And, and I think of countless, mostly young girls, but also young guys, who feel like it's too late, I'm disqualified, I'm broken, I'm used up, I've made so many mistakes. They need this story because it's their story. Not to just bring them this story and share with them, but to say, let's look at this so you see yourself. Uh, Rabbi Walter yesterday said, the Bible is a mirror in which we see ourselves. And I said, yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it's glad, I'm really glad to see other people that have that same view because that's, that's our truth, truth story that we shouldn't begin to see ourselves. We should allow our students to see themselves and, and recapture the power of stories of what their God gave them to us and learn them away in powerful ones because they all know a story. I wonder why. Possibly because we all relate in some way or another. But to allow them to recapture it, and it doesn't matter to me. You know, I've had students write these monologues. I was going to ask some of them to come today. I said that a minute ago and, and share the monologue that they're working on because, man, you see how this works. And unfortunately, it's during school and things like that getting in the way. But I don't worry too much with them about, are you being 100% accurate to that biblical text? Now, now, you use that word. I don't think you use that word. No, there's no place for that. Let's keep the story intact. Let's be honest about the story. But at the same time, what does this mean to you? What do you think they would say to you? And how does that relate to your story? and begin to find themselves. As the identity development is going on all the time, God can usually really begin to shape us. Let me do one more for you, then I'll open it up and we'll have some conversation. This is Zacchaeus, who we all know. And one of my favorite lines about Zacchaeus comes from, um, oh my goodness, just lost his name. Uh, amazing preacher um, at Tonight in Bride School. <laughs> oh, anyway, he was the preacher of preachers, and uh, and he came and all did all kinds of uh, world-renowned scholar on preaching and homiletics, and he was about this tall, and he was introduced at Tonight of the Week to you by a man who was six foot seven, 
So that's what I did. I know it kind of sounds ridiculous, but I got kids, two tax collectors. I'm trying to preach. Yeah, the nobleman of dignity in fancy chariots climbed the tree just like a little boy. Once I was up there in the tree, I could see a long ways down the road, and, and there was no one coming. As I leaned out to look, the branch I was sitting on began to sway. I leaned back and kicked my leg, and it swayed even more. I hadn't swung like this or played since I was a little boy. Because there I was, kicking and swinging with a grin running over my face. I got so lost in swinging that I didn't even notice when Jesus and his disciples came strolling toward me. In my mind, I went back to a younger, simpler time before I carried the heavy burden that I bore. I was escaping in my mind to a place where I was not guilty of cheating or stealing from those around me. A time of innocence and peace. A time of real peace in my mind. The silence of my thoughts was broken by someone speaking my name. Zacchaeus! startled me. As I opened my eyes, I, I was amazed. Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. It was Jesus. And he said he wanted to come to my house for a meal. I had a flood of emotions run through me. It went through my body. It, I felt like a sheep who had just been unexpectedly scooped up by his shepherd. I felt proud of the epiphany and yet frightened because I had no idea what to expect. I wanted to ask him so many questions, but also afraid of the answer. Mostly I was ashamed because I had become a traitor to those around me. And now this great man wants to come to my house. Looking around at the crowd, they, they stared at me in disbelief. I was shocked and surprised by all this attention. Some in the crowd even sneered and muttered mean things about me. They were mean, but they were also true. I so desperately wanted to be accepted by this prophet. I felt like he could see right through me. And he would never approve of me or accept me as a wife. So as they're speaking, by leaps up, I just blurted out, if I have cheated anyone, Lord, I will pay him back four times over. And, and right here and now, I'll give half of everything I own to the poor. At that, Jesus just laughed with a huge smile running across his face. He threw his arm around my shoulder and we walked on together toward my house. The crowd didn't know what to do or how to react, but then neither did I. For the next several hours, he taught me about love and grace and the riches of the life that God offered me. The life that God had intended for me from the very beginning. I made good on my promise. I did give back what he cared for the poor. It was the best decision of my entire life. I no longer feel ashamed. I still collect taxes, but I'm fair. And I've saved many people from hardship and oppression. Just when I thought I'd gone too far, Jesus reached out and took me back to the place where I always belonged. Sending sinners into the world story is so valuable. It's good for us adults as well. But they know the song, Zacchaeus was a little man, and it's got all the words to it. And let's step back and say, what was that like? Take your story and find yourself in it. We can all probably find ourselves in that story in some way or another where we got into something and, and then we realize, I wish I'd never done that. But now it's too late. I can't get out. And God says, no, it's not. I've been worse, worse than you before, and I've made better than you are, I guess. So come along. 
defend ourselves in these stories. Well, we've got about 10 or 15 minutes, and um, uh, if you're interested, we have discussion questions and introductions to them. They're, they're meant to be our group study. If you want one of those afterwards, you can talk about that. But I just want to open it up and, and get some conversation going with you. What questions or thoughts do you have from this process and, and what we've laid out today? important to be honest with your story, but to be wise about it as well. Um, one of the things that used to happen at youth rallies and youth events and after the youth ministry has been around for a while, you'll know that the person who had always been faithful, who had a strong relationship with God from the time they were young, was almost never asked to come speak at a youth rally. We don't want the guy who you know, committed three felonies and killed four police officers and found Jesus in jail. You know? <laughs> and those stories were glorified, and I think there was a problem in um, but at the same time, let's step back and be real. Um, I was very careful about sharing the story of my high school years with my youth group. I would do it with older guys that I knew and had a relationship with. I would do it with guys who I knew were struggling with drugs and alcohol, just so they know I could relate. And I'm not a guy that says, I've been perfect all my life, and you should be like me. You know, there's a point at which they need to hear, I have scarred too. And I want to tell you, I would love to not have those scars. And I want to keep you from making those scars. That's an important time to share that story. But they can also find themselves in these people in the text, like none of these people. You won't find a single Bible hero who was perfect except for Jesus. I fail to say this. When I ask people what's your favorite Bible character, I say, except Jesus. No one can choose him. <laughs> we all have to choose someone else because we'll find broken people. I think that's God's thinking. God works with broken people because he didn't have another choice. There were no not unbroken people. And that's really important for our spiritual history. Yeah. Um, yes? I see value in this because probably 90% of my students can't tell you where every story is found in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So it's going to like retell them. Yeah. Um, and, and being a Mormon, at least half of them have identifying characters in other people's stories exactly. and not having to know what, you know, Romans chapter 6 says or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, at least not yet. Right. Um, yep. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I think it's very developmentally appropriate. So walk with your students and say, okay, what, what is your favorite verse? Quote it. Very good. Mm -hmm. So walk with your youth group and say, okay, as a little kid, what was your favorite Bible story? Mm -hmm. You might get sick of it for a while, but you can stand there and go, I can relate. I used to love Moses for the story of Esther. What's your favorite Bible story? And then turn around and say, I think God has something to do with that. What do you think? Who 
Jesus, you remember that story? Just tell me. Why do you remember that story? What's going on? And build that conversation to then go into that story and say, let's, let's try to figure out where they live. Daniel in the lion's den. Yeah, that might be the whole book of Daniel. It could be maybe Daniel. Let's open the gate and try to find it, you know. And I think those are good things to not shame them because they don't know, but to kind of go, you know, it's a, a book of stories that God has given us for this purpose. The majority of these stories about people, even, you know, even uh, Romans is tied to that community that Paul wrote to. And if you don't know him from the story of the book of Acts, you're not going to understand what's going on in that community. These stories are, are, are the linchpin to understand everything that God is doing. And I think God did that on purpose. I'm starting to preach, sorry. I think God did that on purpose because we're living stories that he wants to be told to people like George Romans. Let's lean into the stories that we know so they become stories that can be told. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. anyway. well, and on the flip side of what, what you just said, you know, we our tradition has been really well known for knowing certain chapter books. Mm -hmm. Right. We can quote scripture, we can cite these stories, but we, we haven't been as good at seeing ourselves in those stories mm -hmm. and applying those. Let me 
helps you think about how to write your own monologue. Because you could sit across you know, at Jamba Juice or Starbucks with this person across the table and just say, tell me about the most important time of life or tell me some Jesus thing in your life. What would they say to you? Take some time to write that out and bring it to me. Let's talk about it. And help them craft and learn that. And most of us, you know, who particularly love God and are good at all, are like, yeah, I can do that. And I can take the Bible and make my own story out of it. Absolutely. Let's, let's, let's get in there. And then they begin to own the story in their community. See, that's part of the process, I think. Can I help with that? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I think another thing that you can do on the other side, because again, I have a lot of students who don't really know the Lord like at all. So yeah. you know, they know nothing about the Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh, so to sit down and just have them share their story and then yeah. be able to connect them exactly. to these characters exactly, yeah. um, <laughs> could be really valuable too because some of the kids they wouldn't know the answer right. to that question. Right. Know, don't you feel? Yeah. Who's your favorite Bible character? I don't know. Never opened the Bible. We have those kids too. Yeah. And also another thing I've done, I wrote these first. I, I, this is all process over 30 years. I, I wrote this initially to be performed. So I've performed more than personally about it different times. Uh, and I had the, had Esther performed several times. Um, the woman at the well performed. And so I've used them on a Sunday morning to have one of these characters perform. During the sermon time, then I get up and, and finish up after that. Or I've done it at teen camp and do these characters and then do somewhere else with them. Uh, and so these monologues can be performed so people learn to know the story. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, that was, that was funny. And I do know this with this crazy Yiddish actor. And he's like, I don't know, there's a movie called um, Frisco Kid years ago with Gene Wilder playing a, a Yiddish rabbi. Think of that rabbi as Moses in front of Bernie Bush. And he's like, God, I cannot do this. You don't know what you're talking about. And and he goes, I'm a, I'm a nobody. And, and, and God says to me, I know you're a nobody. I'm the biggest somebody. And if I go with you, it makes you somebody too. And all of a sudden, people are like, is that Moses? That's not hilarious. I want to And you spend time with Moses going, I was no great kind of thing. But let me tell you what, I was scared. And you know, he talks through this whole thing. And all of a sudden, Moses is a character that nobody sees. So if you have someone who wants to take some of these and perform them, it's a great way to get into that. Um, I'm doing it right now with my adult small group. We're just reading through the monologue and going through the uh, discussion questions after. And a lot of the people who've grown up in the church and elders and, and you know, really important biblically literate people are kind of going, I never thought of this story that way before. And I challenge them to write their own monologues and, and think about that. And, and two of them came to me and said, I'm doing that, I'm not sure it's anybody. It's okay, it's fine. It's a process for you and God. I don't care if I ever do it or not, but you know, they're lovingly getting into it and enjoying it. Um, there's a woman who's uh, Panamanian national, got a great accent, and, and she read Esther for us a couple weeks ago, and I was like, I've never read Esther like that. That was awesome. It's this great Panama accent, and she's terrific. Everybody went, wow, I get that story. There's lots of ways to use these things and, and uh, have people write them and have people read them and Okay, any other what else? Thoughts or questions? Yeah. Do you feel like the um, like students that you might have or that I have that maybe in that identity diffusion or religious theme, you mm-hmm. know, fun with them with hosting. Um, do you feel like this is good for them or is there something else to get them in the right place? I can see students in the other three stages. Yeah. But right now I'm having a
you know, I'm good. And it's not to, to be critical, but also there's a lot of parents who try. You know, yeah. like, God, my parents aren't good, and they're just reflecting in the way that I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. And so to be a older youth minister right. who has an eight-year-old, you know, and they know that. Yeah. So I don't know if that's something that plays into the parents, like, well, I guess we should be good. But I don't go in and say, like, I know everything. I want to walk alongside with them. And mm -hmm. I see what their kids are going through, and mm -hmm. then especially if they go to college, maybe not necessarily, even if it's a state school, yeah. you know. Yeah. we got to be prepared. We right. have to be ready. And we've got some great stories that we have from students that are thriving. Yeah. And it's because I've seen, I've been there before as, as your leader, as you mm -hmm. said, too. You want to share your story. And right. I think that that's what's most effective. But yeah. for those that are in that diffusion, I don't know, it is just, I feel like it's a battle. And, you know, just yeah. because I've been praying about a lot, I'm not sure where to go. Yeah. Yet. One thing, I'm not sure I have the answer, but a good advice would be to think about what they're into. And if you can find a story from the Bible or a character from the Bible that, that might, like, say their favorite thing is Game of Thrones. Or, sure. or the greatest Game of Thrones is, is David with his son. Let's, let's check that out. Look at this David and his mighty men. You know, all the ideas for Game of Thrones came from the Bible. You don't find a more scandalous story than in Scripture. And everybody's like, what? You're an idiot. No, let's read it. And challenge them to, to but you're not going to hang in Leviticus and say, well, gee, that's awesome. Or even, even first and second Chronicles. You know, they're going to get lost. But if, but if you say, you know, these stories that you may have heard as a kid, David and Goliath, etc., you know, David was kind of always stuck. You know, David, can you believe a man of God did this and this and this? Let's get those stories and watch those together. And you may come through a back door and just do that on Sunday morning, not even approaching them about it. They're like, here they are. In, I never know they're going to be there. You come up to one of these four. That's what I thought the original of Ezekiel was so genius. Because what they did with David and Bathsheba, with, you know, I got all my rubber duckies and, and the deer. Yeah. Three-year-olds are like, that's a horrible story. I, 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 and, and you go to see it and you go, he's talking about adultery. He's talking about taking all these women. He's talking about, and that was a man of God. What do you feel about that? Well, at first they go, gee, I don't know. I'll take the babe. Uh, but on the other side, you're like, that's really not good. I get it. I understand. So finding something that, that they're into and something in the Bible that's analogous, and you may not be able to come straight at them with it, but come through the back door with, we're going to do this together, we're going to do this, or, or get a small group of them together, and say, here's a, here's a Bible character that's really made a difference in my life. Let me tell you why. It's not just dry Bible time. This is story stuff, and this is important to me. Let me tell you why. And then they spark some interest in you. Okay, thank you very much. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll close out because it's time to go to our council room. Thanks for being here. And again, these are available if you'd like one. Father Beth, thank you so much for time together and for this uh, blessing. And, and most of all, I thank you for being a God who gave us stories. I would not do well if I had to memorize 635 laws or, or have all these guidelines that I had to follow all the time. But Lord, your stories drive us to what's most important. And I pray that you help us to see our stories as the stories that you want to write and help us to live the stories that you intended when we became uh, people on this planet because, Lord, I, I know that we are your idea. Help us to live into that. Would you speak to us?